Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus comes to feed my hungry soul. That's our seven-word gospel for today. We, we heard about how when Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, that the reason that the crowds were there is because people had gathered from all around the Roman Empire to be there for the Passover. And so they were there uh, as he came in, riding on a donkey's colt, waving their palms, singing Hosanna, shouting to the Lord. There was excitement. There was anticipation for what was going to come. This, this Lent season, we have been going through this series, the gospel in seven words. And we've been doing this as a means of preparation. Right? If you think about Lent, Traditionally speaking, the first Sunday of Lent, anyone know what the gospel reading is for that day, oftentimes? It is Jesus in the wilderness, right? The, the 40 days, his temptation, uh, when he went without food, when he fasted, right? And one of the devil's temptations was, hey, turn these stones into bread. And so we, we started Lent focusing on Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. As Christians throughout history, many, many people take the season of Lent as a time of, of preparation. And a lot of times by, by fasting or by giving something up during the season of Lent for those 40 days, I myself, this this year have given up caffeine for Lent. And so if any of you after church during fellowship hour offer me a cup of coffee, I will say, away from me, Satan. All right? I'm almost there. So next Sunday, though, I will enjoy that coffee and that chocolate Easter bunny and all the good <laughs> caffeine that uh, can be had. So uh, maybe some of you in preparation for Holy Week have, have given up something for Lent, whether it be screen time or social media or food, something other than that. And this is it. The beginning of Holy Week. What we've been preparing for is starting now. We are preparing ourselves for the most important week in world history. And I will say that, and I would argue that whether you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that that is still true. Believe it or not. And here's what I say, because whether you believe that Jesus is Lord, whether he's your personal Lord and Savior, there is no doubt that Throughout the years, 2,000 some years now, that billions of people have followed Jesus Christ as Lord. That the world is different today because of the events that happened during Holy, Holy Week. 
Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. The, the world is different today than it would otherwise be in, in such a drastic matter that you, you can't even argue, in my opinion, uh, another, a, second, a second option or an alternative to the most significant week in world history. But of course, as Christians, as Christians, we do worship Jesus. We do follow him. And so we have been preparing for this time. And as we've been preparing, my, our body, our, our soul, our mind, for Holy Week, we're also preparing to speak the gospel, to confess what we believe. We're taking a, a riff, or we're riffing off of what Peter shares with us in his letter, written some 30 years after Jesus died on the cross. He says, always be, say it, prepared. It didn't sound super confident, right? I mean, we're, we're a few weeks into this now. Always be prepared. There we go. Prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So as we're preparing for Holy Week, we've been preparing to confess, and they're quite honestly, uh, maybe not one and the same, but closely related to each other. As we prepare to confess and as we prepare our bodies and our souls for Holy Week. Today we're going to be looking at what we saw in Scripture today, the Lord's Supper. And we're going to be taking time to understand in our, in our time together today uh, how the Lord's Supper, Supper helps us focus on both past and present and the future grace and gospel of our Lord Jesus. So what I've written down, what I've come up with is past remembrance, present presence, and future proclamation. Hopefully this will make a little bit more sense as we, as we get moving forward here. So um, remember, So let's start with, with past, past remembrance. Uh, remembrance in our, our culture today. Uh, talking to Marilyn just a few minutes before worship, and we are gathering uh, uh, information from people to, for, for Easter lilies, right? And next Sunday, the hope is that the chancel is filled with beautiful white Easter lilies to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and one thing that we can do is to buy an Easter lily and present it in remembrance, right? In remembrance of, of a person that was special to us, like maybe one that's gone before us in the name of the Lord, right? Before us in the faith. Uh, remembrance, uh, other ways that it plays out in, in our culture, we will say this, uh, never forget. Remember, right? Never forget in reference to Pearl Harbor, 
in a few uh, days, actually a week from tomorrow, my family is heading down to South Padre. We get to stay at George and uh, Patricia's condo there in, in Texas, and we're looking forward to having some time on the beach. We're doing so um, via S- uh, San Antonio, and we're going to stay a, a night in San Antonio. I've never been to San Antonio. Who, who has? Some of you. I know some Texas people here, right? Uh, so what do you do when you go to San Antonio? What do you visit? The Alamo, right? What do we say? Remember the Alamo, right? So that is what we are preparing our kids to, watching documentaries and stuff. So when we go there, we'll be ready to remember what what happened in that place, right? So uh, remembrance is is important in our culture. We talk about remembrance uh, a lot, but uh, I want to take some time now to discuss why is it important to remember? If you're just joining us today, the, these past few weeks we've been um, more what I like to refer to as dialogical in our sermon time, talking back and forth, so it's not just me preaching at you. And so I am looking for your thoughts, if you've got them here. What, what do you think? Why is it important to remember? John, go ahead. We honor those that sacrifice. Well, okay, so it's a it's a way of like our remembering is an is a way of honoring those who have made, sacrificed in various ways, whether it be uh, military service, right, or sacrificed for a greater cause for uh, the greater good of of our world, right? So, Donalyn, um, and, and I. I in me so I can't help but remember how they changed my life maybe with a statement and my grandfather said you're, you're spending your life your whole life in bed why do you sleep till 12 o'clock I never ever stayed in bed after that never. yeah no so that's good so it's a it's a way of honoring the wisdom that has been passed down from previous generations uh, that makes me think of I, is it Galileo? I think I, I might be making this up in my head, but the quote, the quote is there, um, that we are nothing but pygmies on the shoulders of giants, right? That uh, th- there have been so many people that have gone before us that have put us in a position to do the little bit that we can uh, in, in our lives, right? For our family, for our children, for our community. So, Nicole, did you, I saw your hand before, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so this isn't just a, a good thing. Um, when the culture puts emphasis on remembrance, 9-11, those who uh, maybe made sacrifices, Pearl Harbor, Alamo, whatever the case, like, 
the culture is, is simply confirming what God has already commanded, right? Like the, the culture is just saying, hey, uh, yes, we agree with God's teaching on this point here. And if you, you look throughout history more and more, I'd say science and archaeology and all kinds of, uh, of wisdom uh, are truths that are, are promoted by God, that are commanded by God. So, yeah, very good, Nicole. Uh, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, so I'm going to stop. Any other thoughts, questions? Why is it, why is it uh, important for us to remember? What would happen if we didn't? Yeah. Why is it important to remember? To take, why does the Lord have to command remembrance? Because we forget easily, right? And when we forget our past, when we forget those who have gone before us in the faith, uh, I, don't, I, I would say that maybe something in our spirit can start to become a little bit maybe arrogant even, prideful. And we start to think, oh, look at all the stuff that I've done. Forgetting about the fact that, oh, the only reason I've done anything is because of people in the past that I'm remembering. So, Donalyn? Hmm. So, so our remembering our past helps us uh, understand our identity, who we are. How many people have uh, gone back through genealogy.com or whatever and tried to, tr to track their lineage to figure out who, who am I, where have I come from? There is something that, that grounds us uh, as, as uh, a people by remembering our past. That's really good. So, so next, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask, well, what do we remember in the Lord's Supper? Nicole kind of started us on that, that path, but what, what do we remember in the Lord's Supper? Jesus tells us, do this in remembrance of me, right? So what, what are we remembering? Brandon. Yeah, right. So, so very good. Because remembering the past affects our, our present. And what, what do we remember? Well, when we remember what Jesus has done for us, his life, his death, his resurrection, those, that, that impact, that's what we remember, and that impacts how we live today, how we, why we're doing what we're doing, and how we live when we go out from this place. So, yeah, very good. Uh, any other, maybe specifics, about the gospel, about what Jesus has done for you, Liz. Oh, I was just going to say it's the fulfillment of the covenant. The fulfillment of the covenant. Okay, can you uh, 
expand on that a little bit for me? That he did. He fulfilled the covenant and all the laws in the Old Testament. And that's why we have the new covenant with the gospel. And Jesus fulfilled that old covenant so we don't have to live under the law anymore. Yeah, very good. So when we remember what, what Jesus has done, we also remember the promises that came thousands of years before Jesus was born and how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament of the old covenant and, and that he's given the, the new covenant to us. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Any other thoughts? What do we remember in the Lord's Supper? Okay, that's, that's all right. So let's, uh, let's keep moving on here. We talked a little bit about remembrance. Uh, a couple things I wrote down. Uh, we remember Jesus Obviously, in Holy Week, as already has been touched on, we remember the, the Passover, which happened 1,500 years before Jesus was born. That, uh, that the Passover was the um, exodus or the, the redemption of the people of Israel who were slaves to Egypt and how the Lord brought them out of Egypt, brought them into a new land, right? Saved them, salvation, deliverance, kinds of stuff that's happening there. And so we remember Jesus in, in uh, we see Jesus in all of this, how that the uh, Passover was simply a type or a foreshadowing of the ultimate reality that Jesus, as the nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt, so Jesus would deliver us from sin and death and the devil. So uh, remembering is, is huge for us as, as Christians. So let's move on to present presence. So we remember, but we also know that uh, the, the Lord's Supper Speak to speaks to us about the the presence, um, understanding of the Lord's Supper uh, that we have as Lutherans. That is, it's something that is um, maybe distinguishes us or differentiates us from other Christian denominations, right? And I say that intentionally. There are brothers and sisters in Christ, Catholics and. Presbyterians and Baptists, but we, we can also say uh, on the, that at the, at the same time, there are brothers and sisters, we love them, and yet we have some different understandings from them. And let's, be, let's just be honest and open of, uh, and as we talk about this. And so, so my question for us, and I'm going to force some of us to stretch back to maybe confirmation and, and to think here, but is this. Why do Lutherans believe in the bodily presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper? And, and I ask that intentionally. We, we, we talk about this all the time, that this is the true body and the true blood of our Lord Jesus, right? We know what we believe, but why? It's what the Bible says. Uh, okay. 
Because the Bible said so, right? And you know what? Uh, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, Baptists and Catholics, might be able to kind of say that same thing to start with. So, so because we're Lutheran, we'd argue with them and we'd get out a hammer and nails and start making a mess of things. And so, yeah, right. So, so, so absolutely, the Bible says so. But what specifically in the Bible, can you think of any particular verses in the Bible that lend themselves to the Lutheran understanding of the real presence or the present presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper? Yeah. Okay, so uh, the, the Holy Spirit, we, we trust that uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present here with us. So there's something to be said about uh, we understand that although this is hard, we, I, can't, I can't with my eyes see Father, Son, Holy Spirit right now. But I know God, that he's God and kind of take his word uh, at face value, if you will, right? Trusting that the, the Spirit is present, that the Lord is present with us. So, awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that. Other, other thoughts? Rich. Is means is. Is means is, right? And that is, that is one of the first ones. You know, when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, um, is means is. Uh, we are not um, Bill Clinton's here. We are not uh, redefining the word is, right? Is does not mean represents. Is does not mean um, symbolizes. If Jesus wanted to say this bread symbolizes or represents my body, he could have said that. But Jesus said is. I mean, you know, when Luther and and Ulrich Zwingli were arguing about the Lord's Supper back, I think this is 1527, and they're in Marburg, and they're discussing this, and they had like 15, 14 points that they had agreed on as they're starting this Reformation thing that we, we refer to now. But something that they disagreed on was this very issue. And this is where, you know, Luther does what he does, took out on a knife or something, carved in the table. Esta, you know, is. Is means, means is. And we, we have to at least give uh, some weight to that as we're thinking about the presence of the Lord in, in the Lord's Supper, right? So anyone want to either build off of that, or maybe, uh, maybe you have another scripture that comes to mind regarding the real presence of the, Lord's, of the Lord, body and soul, in, in the Lord's Supper. All right. I'm going to read from us, for us from 1 Corinthians 11. 27. This is the verse after our 1 Corinthians reading that we had earlier today. Paul says this, that whoever therefore eats the bread 
or drinks the cup, this is obviously talking about the Lord's Supper here, of the, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Here's why I pull out that, that uh, specific verse. Because oftentimes the body is used throughout the New Testament as a metaphor for the church. You know, we are the body of Christ, right? That sort of stuff. And so if Paul had just said, uh, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body of the Lord, then one could argue, well, Paul is just referring here to the, to the church. You will be guilty concerning the congregation, right? But the blood, which he does include, uh, the blood of the Lord in verse 27, never is blood used as a metaphor for the church in the New Testament. And so when he includes that, as I understand the plain reading of the text, he is not referring to the church, but to the elements. And so that is where I, part of where I'm going to stand. Is why, why do we believe in the real presence of the Lord? Well, because he says it, is means is. And because... Uh, uh, of what, you know, what I just read there in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Last Last thing that I came up with in, regarding this point is thinking back on the Passover itself. In preparation for the coming of the angel of death throughout the land of Egypt, the Israelites were commanded to take a lamb to kill the lamb literally to to take a branch a hyssop branch and to dip it into the blood of the lamb and to literally spread that blood on doorposts as an indication to the angel of death that hey don't go there these are God's people, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And then, literally, the Israelites, what did they do with the Lamb after that? They ate it. There is something, the Lord uses means. Sometimes it's bread and wine. Sometimes it's water. Sometimes it's a snake on a stick. Look at this. And you'll be saved, right? The Lord, when he chooses to, he uses means. And he works through them to confer his blessings upon people. So I would argue that with all the, the connection between the Passover and the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, that that's a, another argument that we could stand on for our understanding of Christ being truly present body and soul, in the Lord's Supper. Last, I want to just talk about um, 
future proclamation or the future proclaimed in the Lord's Supper. Here's something, honestly, I haven't thought of a whole lot before this past week. But in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, a verse we regularly use in our communion liturgy, Paul says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That there, so as we've been taking these few weeks of Lent to, to think about our proclamation of the gospel, well, one of the ways that we proclaim the gospel is by partaking in the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. I thought, I don't know. I thought about remembrance. I thought about the real presence as a Lutheran. I think a lot about that, but not about proclamation. So here's my here's my question. Here's the diamond illustration I've used to show this. Uh, talked about how the gospel is like a diamond, and that depending on how it's held, how you're looking at it, there's going to be different facets of the diamond that really catch our eye, that really catch the light. That for us as, as individuals, uh, depending on how we've been, uh, how we look, come to faith through life, our experiences in life, that different metaphors of the gospel, different facets of the gospel might really resonate with our heart and soul. Be that life and death, or should I say death and life? Be that the metaphor of isolation and community, be that the metaphor of captivity and freedom. And so here's, here's my question for us now is what facets of the gospel do you see reflected in the Lord's Supper? And that's, it's not up on the screen, so let me repeat it. What facets of the gospel do you see reflected in the Lord's Supper? Donna Lynn. Um, well, the only Bible verse that I learned when I was eight was uh, Psalm 23. And even back then, <clears throat> I understood that Psalm 23 was protection, safety, love, and God's everlasting presence that is with me in my mess, no matter when it is, whether it's the table, whether it's when I'm on the road, and so um, I say that prayer um, to get me connected again because I feel like safety and protection allows me to function in this world. And so, when um, if if God is always present, then I'm always safe. And yeah. so when I am uh, at the table, I'm safe. I'm loved uh, in my mess. And, um, and then I walk away, and then I'm in the world in the same way. So, so the presence of the Lord in the Lord's Supper is a, is a comfort to you. Maybe the, the foil there would be uh, isolation or yes, loneliness or, or yes. fear, if you will, or, or vulnerability, right? And, and you, you find safety because the Lord is present, almost right? Like, almost like loving arms that I can feel. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Others, uh, what facets of the gospel 
do you see in the Lord's Supper? Chris. Community. Yeah, can you can you expand on that for me? Yeah, family, community, right? We're, we're in this together. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we come black and white, brown and yellow. We come male and female. We come old and middle-aged and young. We, we come uh, Republicans and independents and Democrats, we come together around the promises of the Lord. And there's, there's a community there that transcends anything else in our culture. We're, we're, uh, even other religions, I would say, are mostly identified with a particular ethnic group. Not Christianity. <laughs> Christianity got... Christianity in the West, Christianity in Europe, Christianity in South in South America, Christianity in Africa, Christianity in Asia. Christianity supersedes all cultures and brings them together as one community in Christ. Yeah, yeah, very good. Any other thoughts? Yes, Sarah. Hope. Ah, so, uh, and I'm, I'm repeating this for our listeners on the podcast, but hope is our word, right? And so uh, the hope that really th- reflects, and maybe I didn't make this clear enough at this point, but like the future for Christianity, right? We talked about remembering the past. We talked about present presence. But yeah, the, ho- the future hope that, you know, what, what is... Um, the Apostle Paul says, like, as, uh, as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, past, until he comes. Future, hope. And that's going to be a really good day. Because when he comes, uh, there's no more sin, there's no more tears, there's no more pain. We, we have perfect community. Uh, when he comes again, we're looking forward to that day, our bodies get restored so that, as I've often said, uh, no more artificial hips. Somehow he's going to uh, regenerate my femurs and I'm going to be good to go and not have arthritis and it's going to be a wonderful day. And if you've got a, a stint, in, you know, that your, your arteries are clear, right? Uh, if you uh, have got infections or have got uh, neurological diseases, you will be healed, given new spiritual bodies. So, yeah, that, the hope that we have, absolutely, so good. Any other thoughts about 
the various facets of the gospel reflected in the Lord's Supper. Donalyn. True, unconditional, no strings attached love. Yeah, absolutely. So, last question that I've got for us today. To whom are we proclaiming through the Lord's Supper? Who, who are we speaking to? I mean, proclaiming just it, it infers that someone's listening. To whom are we proclaiming through the Lord's Supper? Any thoughts? Brandon? I'd say primarily one another and ourselves. So to one another, right? Uh, maybe to ourselves. We're reminding ourselves and, and uh, speaking, speaking into our lives. And, and there's truth to that. But uh, yeah, I certainly, especially like the, the first one, you get to talk to me Proclaim Jesus to me as I get to distribute the Lord's body and the Lord's blood to you. Absolutely. Love that. Chris? Chris was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Maybe, uh, and I'm stretching things a little bit here, but... If your neighbors see on Sunday mornings while they're still enjoying their coffee, <clears throat> if you can't tell, I'm really looking forward to a week from now, uh, and they're sitting in their pajamas, they see your car pulling out of the driveway, there's something to be said about the proclamation that's happening just through the actions there as you come to the Lord's Supper. Is uh, One reason why it's I think, crucial for us as Christians to come together, even though, yes, we have digital technology, podcasts, and um, video sermons, and, and whatnot. That's, that's good, and thanks be to God for that. But we also know that there's something about communion with each other, being in each other's presence as we're in the Lord's presence, coming together, that it is powerful. Let me read for us one passage. This is from... The Old Testament, Exodus chapter 13, and talking about the Passover. So the Passover has just happened. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No unleavened bread shall be seen with you. No leaven, excuse me, no leavened bread shall be seen with you. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. So you see, obviously, what we're talking about is the Passover here. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. That's why we're doing this, right? Who, who are we proclaiming to? I would say just as significant, if not more significant, than any of the rest of what we talked about is we're to our, to our kids, 
Like when we come here and, and take the Lord's Supper together, we are saying, children, this is important. I, I love the times that the youth of our congregation come up to me and have asked, Pastor, when can I start taking communion? That, that shows to me that there's a, a parent or adult figure in that child's life that's modeling, that's proclaiming the depth of our Lord, uh, Lord until he comes through participating in communion. So, the Lord's Supper is a place where we, we remember, the place where we experience the presence of our Lord Jesus, and a place where we proclaim our hope in the Lord. And so as we move into Holy Week more fully and we think about how the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper in that upper room with his disciples, we think about all three of those things that are happening. How the Lord's Supper means all of those things and how that we need to keep in mind each past, present, and future aspect of what the Lord's Supper brings to us today. Amen. <laughs>